Welcome to another episode of Love Selling, Hate Sales. You know, the whole concept of inside sales is actually relatively new in the spectrum of the sales universe. For decades, if not centuries, people in sales have either gone door to door by foot, the in the more modern area, the field sales professional, the road warrior has been on and off of planes their entire career, setting their week around a meeting in Chicago on Tuesday and maybe a meeting in Des Moines on Thursday and planning their whole life around that. And then all of a sudden in 2020, inside sales was forced to become the normal. We had to go through this process of inside sales leaders having to teach their counterparts in field sales how to work, how do we productive, how do we manage our day? And now we fast forward another only two years into 2022, and it seems like it's still up in the air what the normal of work should be across professions and even still in sales. Is there still a future for field sales? Is it only inside sales? What is this model going to look like? So I'm really excited today to bring in our guest, Rashad Tabakawala, who is an author, speaker, and advisor. Uh, he advises for the Publicist Group, where he formerly worked as the chief strategist and chief growth officers. So we're gonna get some insights on the future of work. And if you are subscribed to his newsletter, which he'll talk about at some point, you can get lots of insights on, on this and other things. Rashad, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for inviting me. Glad to be here, Josh. Yeah, excited to have you. So I've seen a lot of stuff that you've written recently on the future of work. And if we could take some of those concepts and spin them towards the profession of sales, what do you see how do, you, how do you see what we went through in COVID changing what's gonna, what sales is gonna look like from a work standpoint moving forward? So, you know, I believe that sales has three components to it. And one of them that has always been important and will continue to be important is some form of in-person interaction. Um, but what we used to do prior to COVID was rely almost 80 to 90% of our activity on in-person interaction. And now because of two things, one is uh, it's gonna be hard to get those meetings because almost no prospect is gonna be working five days a week at a place, hmm. unless you happen to be in dental sales, right? Or other kinds of sales. Then of course you have a place to go to, or obviously doctors and things like that. But in most other cases, I'm anticipating that we have to understand that people will work about a third of their time in a physical office. And also that I do not believe that we are gonna be at a place where there isn't gonna be some sort of worry about COVID for another year or two, uh, which means that people are not gonna go out of their way to have it easy to come inside the office outside people to come inside the office and make it harder, right? Uh, so therefore the likelihood of us going back to the world of 2019 is zero, okay? And therefore a salesperson has to acknowledge that. But do remember, I have basically believed that in-person interactions are highly critical. So the idea really is how do you reimagine them and say, okay, I'm gonna have fewer of them. Where do I have them? And many of them will be at places like events, conferences, restaurants, bars, right? And what do I need to do there that maximizes the impact of that? 
while I have two other capabilities that I can do in addition to that. So there's clearly an in-person element, but less, but how do you manage it? The second is people are gonna be very hungry. You know, I've written this thing about eight things that clients or customers want, which you have had a chance to read. But everybody across all industries are you know, very interested in how, give me insights about my market, give me ideas, let me reimagine things. So they're very hungry for that. And those you could potentially do without being there in person. Not I'm saying you shouldn't be there in person, but you can do that through combination of writing them notes, having calls, having conferences, virtual conferences, having workshops, you know, things like that. They keep you in front of them, but the idea there is you're giving them a gift. So think about the second being gifts. And those gifts are primarily given not in person. Because a lot of the in-person is you're creating a relationship, trying to understand someone, et cetera. But not that you can't give a gift there. So that's the second component. And the third part of sales, which makes a salesperson extremely good, is to make sure that the, that the company delivers on what they said they were claiming to do. So if I sold something, that better be what I sold, whether it was a service, whether it was a product, make sure it arrives on time, that the client continues to be happy. And that part is just basically the day-to-day -day servicing of the business. And that doesn't require you to be there in person. But if you break it up and say, look, there's gonna be stuff where I can create ideas, insights, imagination. There's stuff that I basically have to provide in ongoing service and support, planes run on time, pricing is right, you know, all of that. And then there's stuff where I'm learning about them, they're learning about me, I'm building a relationship. Take those and say, okay, how do you allocate your time and how do you allocate those to those three? And if you do that, you're very likely to succeed. If you think you're going back to 2019, probably not. And in many industries and sales, if you're gonna go 100% virtual, might be difficult, especially if your competitors occasionally meet the person. Yeah, do you think those in-person, those very strategic in-person moments, do you have a sense for where those need to be if you think about the stage of a yes. sales cycle, whether it's enterprise or otherwise? So I believe that here's where they need to be and this is when they need to be. So the when they need to be is in two places, those in-person meetings are extremely important. When you are introducing a new salesperson or when there is a new client, you want to make sure you get to them in person as fast as you possibly can. Because it is at that particular stage where clients make decisions to switch. Uh, and, and, you know, a name that they don't know. So even if you have to go, the, and, and by the way, I tell people, if the meetings sort of take, you, you can't get a physical meeting for four weeks, but you can get an in-person meeting day after tomorrow, do the in-person meeting day after tomorrow, and then do that one four weeks later. Don't wait for that one four weeks, right? So one is right. there. The second is when you sense something shit's gonna happen, okay? So it's building a relationship and shoring up or buttressing a relationship are the two key things, times. Where is it's very, very difficult to have it inside a, uh, those things have to obviously be done at a restaurant or a bar or a event, like a concert or 
sports thing. But almost all the others can be planned around conferences. Either your own conference or conferences you go to. So I have always suggested that every company have between one and three of their own conferences every year. <clears throat> one, and it could be the only, the, when I say three, it's not like some clients could just show up at three of them. But most companies have segments of clients. You know, the clients who like this. So I'm helping a company here and they have had me speak at four of their conferences. And for each of them, there's a completely different audience. In one case, it's insurance people. The other case, it's utilities people. The third case, it's someone else. So they have a conference for utilities, insurance, etc. But the senior most people go to all of them. So they're understanding what's going on across. And sometimes what they do is they'll say, hey, you can't attend this conference, come to this other conference, because at least a third to 40% of the subject matter is not specific to the industry. What usually tends to happen at these conferences, one or two of the keynotes are specific to the industry, but most of the breakouts are specific to the industry. The, most of the keynotes are across industries. So if you have three events, yes, you can get a client to come to one of those events, right? So that happens to be one. And then there are obviously big events, like in the big advertising agency space, there were four tentpole events. So one happens to be CES, one happens to be Cannes. One happens to be South by Southwest, right? And one happens to be like ad week of that particular country, you know? Uh, and so you basically can plan around those four because you're likely to have clients. So one of them is go where the, so one is go where the clients are clustering, but the other is give a reason to come to you or not to, not to you, but to another place. And, Never underestimate the hunger that clients want to talk to other clients and other people. They don't just want to talk to you. Yeah, everybody seems to want to know what everybody else is doing. That seems to be a yeah, pretty common and, thread. And, 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 that's exact, and that's exactly, and that's why the, I, I found, because I, obviously there's a big part of my business where I, my business being my own one-person company, is I do a lot of speaking at events. Uh, and then the other thing I've noticed is when I'm even not speaking at an event, but I'm doing speaking at a closed event, and I've been speaking at closed events where the closed event may have 100 people, it may have 10 people, right? And there what they're looking for is give me something to rethink about my industry. Give me something that makes me, shakes me up. But obviously you don't go and say like you suck kind of thing. That doesn't shake them up. But, you know, something interesting. So those are the ways I'd look at it, which is, Yes, in-person continues to be important, but it's gonna be much less. So figure out where and when. And and you have obviously these restaurants, et cetera, but then you've got conferences. Then think about when you're sharing ideas, some of those at conferences, some of them virtually. And most of the other stuff, which is keeping the trains running on time, you don't need to be there in person. You need to be available. There it's much more, when they want you, you better be there, you know? Like the worst thing, as you know, is looking for a telephone number on a website. Even worse than that is your salesperson is missing in action when you want to reach them. Correct. Well, it seems that this idea of conferences that you put on as your own organization and the idea of helping people 
re, uh, are people that are hungry for insights. It seems that those things can dovetail in this concept exactly. of the conference. Exactly. So, you know, what I basically simply say is, hey, look, I need to build relationships. That's number one, right? I need to provide insights and ideas so they think well of my company and they think I'm helping them, right? I need to make sure that I provide them with world-class service and competitive stuff so they, when they buy stuff, I'm fine. I've got to do these three things. Now, I have the capabilities of doing that at events, just in-person restaurants and bars, conferences, email, whatever. And for each client, I'd basically say, okay, here's my strategy. One of the huge advantages I see there is especially at the executive level, it gets lonelier and lonelier the higher you get within an organization because you have no yes. peers. The yes, ability to offer the access. To connect, access yeah, to peers. The, People are so interested in that. They're so interested, right? And, 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 and sometimes, by the way, what's really interesting is if you happen to have the ability, which some people do, like if, if, you're, if you're, you know, not every company is large, but sometimes your company can be so large that you can actually get the, you can find a way to get the company, your clients, you know, people who have multinational clients, sometimes create an event just for the clients to meet other clients in the same company. That seems like an amazing sales opportunity that you would never even yes. think about. No, so, so but, but that's, you know, my whole thing always is, and there's a word I use, which is S-A-V-E. So, you know, when I basically, I, I always tell people, hey, look, if you wanna end up generating revenue, see, my basic belief is, you can't generate revenue unless you create a triple win, okay? So a triple win is that whoever you're selling to on the other side, your customer wins, right? Which is very important. Second is you as the company, that is you slash your company you're working for wins. But as importantly, the company that the client is working for wins. And you might say, wait, 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 why are you separating the client from their company? And the reason is because if you, a client will not buy something that is very good for the company, but is not good for them, right? But you will not keep your client, if you build a relationship and you manage to keep a client because you're doing things that's good for them, but not for the company, your client won't be around for long. Right? If you keep your client's company and the client happy, but not your company, you won't be around for long. Right? So you have to have this triple success. Now, sometimes you'll be doing skewing heavily on one versus the other two, but you need to do, to, to, to do those. So in that, I always basically say, therefore, in order to make sure you end up doing that, ask yourself, S-A-V-E. So number S is, are you solving a problem? Are you selling a product or service, right? Find a way to frame what you are trying to do as a solution to a problem versus I'm here with this product or service. The A is accessibility, and there are three types of accessibility. Number one is speak in English, okay? If I can't understand what you're talking about, I'm not gonna buy it. No jargon. The second is, Right, second is make it very easy for me to get it in any way that I want, 
right? Online, offline, whatever. And third is find a way where I reduce barriers to trial. So I call that, again, these are drugs, but I'm gonna use this thing, which is find a way to sell the cocaine by giving away the crack for free. Okay, and that's accessibility. It's easy to buy, that's great. I can get it any way I want, that's great. And I understand you're speaking in English. So S is save, sorry, S is for solution, A is for access. V is value and values. So there are two kinds of things. One is people aren't looking for the lowest price, but they're looking for value. If you can't basically show the numerator denominator, you could, you know, I, as I remind people, the most valuable companies in the world, whether it's LVMH or Apple, don't sell on price, right? People choose with their hearts, they don't use numbers to justify what they did. But you have to have value. You can't basically say, I'm charging twice as much with no justification. They'll say, go away, go away. So, so that's, that's one. But the other increasingly is values, which is, do they like the values of you as a company? Do you understand the values of them as a company? And the final last one is E is experience, which is what's it like to do working with you or working with your company, right? And, my basic belief is you need to get at least three of these four right, ideally four. Uh, you know, sometimes you can basically have solution, great experience, some accessibility, but your value is off. But they'll say, my God, I like the person. I can buy it in every way I want. In fact, if it's not that, I can buy the cheap version immediately so I can play solve for the value equation. It's that kind of thing. It feels like if you almost look at the save, is that what we call that an acronym? Yeah. If yeah. we look at that through the lens of the triple win, it's almost like this superpower of sales, right? It, because it, it's, it, the super, it's the superpower of sales. So I, you know, if I were to basically tell people, let's say, hey, look, if, you're, if you want to basically, and I believe everybody's a salesperson. So if somebody basically tells me they're not a salesperson, I said, somewhere along, you had to create some kinds of mystery and intrigue to get your partner. Correct. <laughs> okay, because otherwise, they would never have basically accepted you. Your part, most people's partners are better than that, right? So, so my basic belief is you, 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 you are a salesperson. We all are. Uh, but, but, you know, but we all sell. So, but what happens is, to me, the three big things are, number one is save, right, across the customer, the client, and your own company. The second is, okay, I've got to be able to do that with a combination of in-person, virtual, and just continuously remaining connected. You know, those are the first points we started with, right? And, and then the last one is actually about the salesperson. How does the salesperson continue to improve and grow and remain relevant, right? Because often the, the company, whoever is doing the buying, is buying the salesperson as much as they're buying the company. And if they, they and, and, and by, if, obviously it's important to like your salesperson, but if you begin to believe that you love your salesperson, but they're good for a game of golf, but they're not actually providing you with any benefits, and they aren't telling you where the world is going, right? So they're still selling you kind of typewriters, but it's a world of word processors. Uh, 
a good person would say, hey, the world of word processors is coming. I'm gliding my company to that. I'm learning about word processors. I'm not only learning about typewriters. Those are the triple the trifecta, which is save this thing and then keep enhancing yourself. And on that one, at least what I do in my current stage, which I always did my entire career, but I still do, which people find surprising, is I spend an hour every day learning. Okay, uh, to such a point that on many new topics, I become pretty good, even though I'm three years out of quote unquote working full time, if that makes sense. Uh, the, the, the second one is I try to build a case, and this is very, very important for a salesperson. Build a case for the exact opposite of what you think is true. So put your sales thoughts together, right? And then what you basically do is decide why you're full of shit. Poke holes, right? Because whoever you're selling against will be doing exactly that, okay? Or your client or your prospect might. So that's the second one. And the third one, which is the most popular thing I've written in my Substack, is how to rethink a presentation. So I'll give you an idea. With the exception of one which you may have seen where I wrote about the future of the internet because there was a lot to cover, I have never in 20 years of working at Publicis given a presentation with more than nine slides. Okay? I love that. And most of the time, I do it with zero slides. And if I need to share some numbers, I do it as a handout. Okay, here's the number, here's, here's a slide of numbers, here's a slide of something else, thank you very much. Because salesperson have to remember, they are the presentation, not that stupid PowerPoint deck, right? I can read the PowerPoint deck, why have you come up? Why have you shown up, you stupid fool, to read it to me? I, love I can this. read it faster, right? So that which is called, um, you know, rethinking presentations has been read by about 100,000 people so far. Uh, which is kind of interesting. And you know, in the show notes, you can basically point, because I, I've sent you the four things about selling, which are some of these points like S-A-V-E. And, but you know, how to rethink presentations is one way of becoming effective. And these simple things can enhance the productivity of people 10, 15%, which is huge. Incredible. You know, so the last episode that launched just this past Sunday was it was called Selling Services in a Software World. And the guest was someone that you know named Justin Gray. And yes. we talk about selling software services to and through software partners for the better part of a decade. And one of the things that you really touched on for me was the ability to continually provide value and not just talk about feature and function. And that's one of the things that I've always seen as a struggle in the software world, right? Like they have this crutch of the thing that they have to show and to talk about versus speaking to business problems, providing business value, structuring a deal that way. So I'm wondering in a world where oftentimes we're asked to bring in a third party point of view, what does that look like to you? What should that be? So a third party point of view can be one, depending on who who your customer is and what specifically they've asked. Sometimes a third party point of view is an independent neutral party, which is someone basically saying, you know, here is a PDF from Forrester or Gartner or somebody or the other, which is, which is number one. 
The second, a third party point of view is let me talk to some of your clients, right? Who you've done this for, let me talk to some of them. But the other third party point of view, and and it's one of the things where I've been keeping very busy on, uh, is bring an outsider who's not inside your company to explain why the stuff you're talking about is important, okay? so. I often go in with companies, and this is because I believe it, not because someone has paid me to go and say stuff I don't believe. And that's why my whole stuff is, these are all the things I believe. I've written them, you know, I've, there's a hundred of them, and you, this is what I've written, whether I, somebody was right, it's all free. But I said, if someone says, why do you think, the, you know, the whole, this future of the internet is not a basic big Ponzi scheme, scam, et cetera, right? So I said, of course there's Ponzi and scam, but I'm not asking you to buy crypto, I'm explaining to you why in the last, why, what's going to happen, and I framed it over 20, 30 years of my learning, right? Which, which is, and, and therefore pay attention. So somebody who wants to basically sell a client on Web3, right? I frame it broadly as to why it's going to be important without specifically saying do some particular thing, because I don't do that, okay? One is because I don't deliver on it, B, I'm not exactly sure, but I know broadly. So I tend to be very clear as to where the trend is, I'm not completely clear exactly what the specifics are, but my basic belief is as a company, if the trends are going in this direction, you should be paying attention to it. I'm not necessarily saying you should be doing something. So those are where you get independent people who basically say, you know, the big thing that clients are looking for is are you any good, right? And are you any good is what a forester or another client will, so what is are you any good? That's what a forester or another client will say. Second thing that they basically ask for you, what's it like to work for you, work with you? So that's what a cli uh, other clients will say, right? But the third thing that they're asking is a very is a question they don't ask you because it's very hard for them to ask you what I'm about to tell you they ask. Am I any good? So, so the client is asking, am I any good? And it's not specifically, are they good? But is my planning good? Am I positioning my company correctly, right? Not, are you good or... <laughs> Is it good to work with you? But are I any good? Is my programs and plans in a good direction? And that's when a third party sometimes also comes in. So what's interesting to me about that is I was speaking to another executive and that concept of am I any good? You, know, you could talk about it as benchmarking or maturity modeling or things like that. How do you best position that? Because I've had some executives tell me that saying, you know, using a maturity model and plotting someone there, that's almost offensive, right? Like, who yeah, are you? So, so, so one of the things that I would do is where do you have the opportunity to have these in-person interactions? So this one, that to get exactly what that is, is very hard to do. Now, I haven't done this for the last two years because I have not had a job. So and zoom zooming around, so I have not had to do it. So I don't know if this is doable or not. But in the old world, what I used to basically do is I would try to get a meeting with some senior clients. This is the, that's that in-person meeting once in a while. Ideally, over a meal, we talk about lots of things, and then at the end of the meeting, I'd ask some simple questions. Right? What's on your mind? What are you worried about? Okay, now, just to warn people, when you ask that question, you're gonna get three types, three answers. I'll give you exactly what the answers are gonna be. 
But the first two, people don't ask because the first two, they cringe when they hear it. Okay, but basically here's what it is. What are you worried about? What are you thinking about? What's on your mind, right? About business. I used to ask what's on your mind and they would tell me about family and oh, I'm not interested. And I'm not interested, but you know, that was early in the conversation. So let's talk Doesn't about, serve the purpose. Right, so the, what's, what's, the, what's the thing in your business? Okay. One of the first things they'll basically tell you is, I'm not basically sure whether your agency is any good. Okay. They love doing that just to start it off, which is fine. Okay. Or I don't know whether I've got the right people. What do you think? Etc. Right. The second one, they switch slightly to, I don't know whether I've got the good teams. I've got the best teams in my own people. Right. So what is, you know, Josh, are you any good? Right. And is your company any good? Then the second one is, I wonder whether I've got all the right skills with them organized correctly, right? For where the future is going, that kind of stuff, right? Have I, do I see what's going on? And then the last one is, am I any good? Okay. Not like, am I any good? How do I remain relevant? That's the better question. How do I remain relevant? And and what happened is over the years is I managed to at least finagle and fool people into thinking I knew what I was talking about. Because I was doing this for year after year after year, they'd say like, listen, you are a seasoned, seasoned is another way of saying aged or older, but seasoned is much more element. They'd say, you've been doing this, you're senior. I say seasoned, not senior, seasoned. You've been doing this for decade after decade. How come you know all this new stuff, right? And so I said, let me show you how you can remain relevant. Relevant, And that used to be the really sales point. The first two were as important, right? Because if I said, here's how I think you can be relevant, then help me answer the second question, which is, are you organized right? Which then helped me answer the first question, which is maybe we're not where we need to be as a client, as an agency or a resource to serve you. But if this is where you're going, I'll tell them that this is what we need to do. So what I would basically do is solve for the problems, but solve it for a way where it was clearly I was the supplier and they were the client, right? But during that conversation, it was more like I was providing the advice and they were asking me. So there's a, there a balance of power, but the conversation was a little bit different. Uh, but that's the way to basically do it. And you, But you've got to ask the question broadly enough for them to start in a place where you don't like what they start with. Because, you know, when you say what's on your mind and what's worrying you, any good marketer, any good client will say one of the things is, I don't know if you're any good. Right. <laughs> or, you, or you can take me to the future. It's just they would do. I mean, they won't say it as fun part, but they'll always do it. Yeah, I think it's just good human psychology, right? Give people an opportunity to cut you down or make you the brunt end of the joke. And then it kind exactly. of softens the mood a little bit, right? As long, I mean, you know it's coming. Yeah. You've got thick skin. It's just part of the game. But if you give them that out, Right, that they they have the power. You're you're subtly shifting it without them knowing it. Exactly. Orshad, this has been fantastic stuff. You've given me so many lists of three things. I don't even know where to start, but uh, we'll go with the big three. The the save, right? That's yes. this is the the solution, the accessibility, the value, and the experience. Make sure every person, no matter what it is you're selling, whether it's selling yourself, selling your product, selling your service, are looking through that acronym. We'll make sure the link to this article is yep. posted in the show notes. The concept of work that we started off with, 
the combination of in-person virtual and then just the connectedness that you have to be to keep things on the track is important. And then personally, we want to make sure that we're continually improving and growing. Yes. Those were the big three things that you said, my big three takeaways from the show. Rashad, where can the audience find you and what do you want them to know about you? So there are two things to know about me, which is uh, I love writing and sharing my thinking. So one place, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn, but it's at rashad.substack.com is my free thought letter, which is what 25,000 people read. It's completely free. And then since I'm a starving author, you should go buy my book. It's called Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data, which The Economist magazine has called the best book on stakeholder capitalism. Strategy is called the best book on marketing and selling. Um, so that's Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. It's cost 15 bucks and my Substack is for free. Amazing. Rashad, thank you for joining the show. 